0: Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. This is a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We welcome you here, persons of all religious, ethnic, and racial origins, sexual orientations, abilities, and other circumstances. I especially want to welcome our visitors this morning again, whether in person or online. If you're online and you can have the ability to do so, please say hello in the comments and let us know from where you're watching the service. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite you to turn to the people around you if you're here in the sanctuary and greet the holy among us. If you're online, please feel free to do so in the comments or simply feel the heart connections that bind us together. Now, please join me in our words for lighting the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation.
1: Our call to worship today comes to us from Reverend Hilary Christiania. It goes, We are like aspen trees who have mistakenly thought that since we look like many trees, that is the truth. But under the ground, our root system is one. We are fully alive when we are connected because we are. We were always part of one another.
0: This congregation has a mission statement that we develop together. It's our common purpose. It guides our decision-making and our ministries. And we like it so much that we wrote it on the wall and we say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the Beloved Community. And each week, we take a moment to explore more deeply what we mean by that term Beloved Community. This week, I want to show you a video your board put together and Leo Collis recorded from their efforts to work towards one of our ends or goals around building Beloved Community. That goal says we will partner with others to dismantle a culture of white supremacy and other systems of oppression. To that end, members of your boards reached out to historian Kimberly Keaton at the Austin History Center. The board members introduced her in the video, so I'll leave that to them. (laughs)
2: Kimberly Keaton is an esteemed leader in our community. Her personality, interests, and contributions to Austin culture defy any one job title. This incredible woman doesn't just fit into one little box.
3: She was named an American Library Association Emerging Leader in 2015.
2: 2019, she began work as the African-American community archivist and librarian at the Austin History Center. Uh,
1: she suggests genealogy uh, as, a, uh, as a good tool for uniting the histories.
0: Her work at the Austin History Center preserving, uncovering, and sharing the two often neglected stories of Austin's black community through research events, lectures, and genealogy workshops.
4: I've been a community liaison sent here to tell you the goodness about Austin's history. And no, it's not beautiful, but then again, it is beautiful, being that slavery ended. Uh, I 35 was built. Uh, we have two institutions on two separate sides of the freeway here. And in 2021, We just had a situation with weather and the side of UT had lights, electricity, and running water. But the east side, which is now populated pretty much by Caucasian people, got a glimpse of what black people have been through since 1842, 1824, when Austin was built will say one of the things that sparked my interest when I moved here was the 1928 Master Plan which, is, which just compelled me to continue to go out and to tell the good news about Austin, Texas. Houston Tillotson was the first institution in Austin as far as academic, not UT. So I make sure I say that in every interview so people can understand Logistics here that UT wiped out an entire community, Wheatville. That was a black community before UT got there, and that is why UT is there today because they wiped out that entire black community. One another reason why I, you know, my position is so important in Austin is that it also deals with genealogy, and I offer that to, you know. Um, those individuals that I get to speak to in those committee meetings and those, you know, development meetings that you you need to know your own history because for every Black person, there's a white slave owner. And I know that may sting and that may hurt, but that's the truth. How do you want me to put it? How do you want me to say it? How modest do you want me to be when I say that? Because I don't know how else to say it, <laughs> you know, but for every Black person, there is a white counterpart that played a part in that and your family is alive just as my family is alive now i'm not saying you were the person that did this to my family but you need to look in your history to see who those slave owners were so you can come to terms with your own history and i believe that once that takes place in these united states not just austin these united states we're going to get to a whole different mindset Because people will become, you know, I pray that this happens. That people become comfortable with their history. That you know your history. And once you know your history, it gives you a a sense of freedom. Because I'm not saying every white person has a family that enslaved someone else. But you may have lived next door to a family that enslaved. And your family knew that family. So let's let's get to know that history. African-American people were not named in the United States Census until 1870. So after 1870, you know, you're going to 1860. 1860, those slave owners did not list names. They listed numbers. Now, some of the documents have names, if you can find wills and stuff like that. But typically when you get to 1860, that's when you're trying to find the slave-owning families. And that's what I teach in genealogy. When you get to 1860, we, we searching for white people now. <laughs> you know, and that's the only way I can say it. Like, we're searching for them. So, you know, you never know. You can be an angel in disguise to a black family and give them all of their history because it's your history. And then, of course, you know, y'all can have a family reunion, eh? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You know, um and have some good good conversations and good talks. There's a long lost somebody that you should do your best to find and just sit down and have a conversation. And then go find the black people. That's what you gotta do. Cause when you find them, then you can sit and hear the stories that they've been told from their ancestors. And then we can sit here and we can talk about this process. Because I want you to, like, if I were a Caucasian and I was placed in that situation, I want to sit down with them and be like, yo, I need you to understand it It wasn't me. It was not me. It was my history. And I need you to understand my thought process and who I am and what my family means. And, you know, let's, 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 you know, let's be friends. Let's, let's, let's develop something here because our history is interjoined, you know, but just, you know, It doesn't matter what age you are take the time out to learn more than just about yourself because that's the only way you're gonna be able to sit down and have these conversations with other people because it's not just black history it's not it's asian history it's indian history like we don't even talk about that but like yeah Mm -hmm. but i thank you for this interview today and thank you for this opportunity to be able to share just a little bit of what i do and who I am and what I believe in and what I represent. And I hope I'm representing Austin, Texas as
0: well. Many thanks to Kimberly Keaton and our board members that made that happen.
3: Let me tell you the parable of the spoons. There once was a mystic who was fascinated by the idea of heaven and hell. One day, in a deep meditation, the mystic came face to face with the creator of the universe. And of course, their first question was, what is the nature of the relationship between heaven, hell, and earth? And the creator of the universe clapped its cosmic hands. And immediately, the two were in a room. In the center of this room, there was a round table. And in the center of that table, there was a roaring fire. Over the fire, there was a huge cauldron of a seething stew with a smell so enchanting that the mystic was drawn closer to the table, but not too close. Because all around the table, there were sickly unhealthy groaning people each of them with a long spoon long enough to reach the cauldron in the center of the table but not long enough to feed themselves and they all struggled and they tried but they never quite managed the mystic didn't need to ponder long to understand that this was hell Instantly, the creator of the universe clapped those cosmic hands again, and they were in a different room, except it was the same room. So much of the room was identical. There was the round table, the roaring fire, the cauldron with that delicious smelling stew in the center, and around it, people seated. But these people looked healthy. They looked happy. In fact, they were laughing and telling each other stories and and jokes. Some of them were singing songs. Some of them were just listening attentively. And they also had those same long, overlong spoons. But as they dipped out of the stew, they didn't trouble themselves trying to make that long spoon reach back to their mouths. They simply reached across the table and fed someone else. And when they were hungry, they had the humility and the clarity of mind to open their mouths and let themselves be fed. The mystic didn't have to ponder long to recognize that this was heaven. And the beauty of this story is that it isn't just about heaven and hell as an afterlife idea. But it shows us how we can choose to experience heaven or hell here on Earth. And as a matter of fact, this story inspired this song. No one
2: gets to heaven alone, to heaven alone, to heaven alone. No one gets to heaven alone. We get there side by side, side by side. Side by side, side by side. side, by side, side, by side. We get there side by side. No one heals the world on. Side side by side side by side side by side We're healing side by side no one, no one does, does the, work on the, on the, the work on the road the work on the the work on the own no one does the work on the road We're working side by side Side by side side, 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 side by side, side by side, side by side, we're working side by side, side by side, side by side. Side by side, side by side, side by side, Side side. we get there side by side.
1: Our meditative reading comes to us from Douglas Steer. The ancient question, who am I? inevitably leads to a deeper one. Whose am I? Because there is no identity outside of relationship. You cannot be a person by yourself. To ask, whose am I, is to extend the question far beyond the little self-absorbed self and wonder, who needs you? Who loves you? To whom are you accountable? Whose life is altered by your answers? Whose life is altered by your choices? With whose life, whose lives, is your own all bound up inextricably in obvious or invisible ways?
0: This is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. We breathe together and breathing together. We sense the loving presence of those around us. We sense the love that radiates back and forth between the people in this room and the people joining us over the internet. We breathe in and out, in and out, We follow our breath to a deeper place inside, place of greater wisdom, a place where that spark of the divine in each of us resides. And breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together. At the end of our silence, I will sound the chime Breathing in and breathing out, let us enter into that time of sacred silence together. In the Before Times, on September 1, 2019, Mia Tagano published an article titled, Look With Your Heart, Lessons from My Time with My Grandmother. In it, she shares the story of visiting her 94-year-old grandmother in a rehabilitation care facility. Her grandmother was in a shared room with another woman who Mia called Andrea in her article, though that's not her actual name to protect confidentiality. At first, Mia tried to just be considerate, greeting Andrea but wanting to respect her privacy, trying not to be too loud while talking with her grandmother, saying goodbye to Andrea on the way out. Andrea had suffered a stroke. She couldn't use words, but she could make these grunting noises and nod her head. In trying to be considerate of Andrea, Mia would, for instance, ask permission if she could leave the door open a little bit when she took her grandmother outside, in case Andrea would be too cold if she did so. Slowly, though, the two began to build a relationship rooted in loving-kindness. One day, Mia said the usual hello, but then began to include Andrea in what she was saying to her grandmother, Andrea began to try to speak. With gestures and grunting and physical movements, Andrea began to show Mia what had happened to her and what she was doing to try to recover. When Mia said, I understand, Andrea replied with some of her first spoken words, you understand, you understand then Andrea showed how, even in bed, she was exercising her right leg, which had been barely movable after the stroke, carefully moving it a little off the bed to bring her right knee together with her left one. They both cried out, "woohoo!" and clapped together. They hugged. Andrea put her head on Mia's shoulder and cried. When Andrea finally hugged Mia a second time, Mia cried too. After this, Andrea slowly shared more and more of her life. A genuine relationship had been cultivated. As Mia put it, moment to moment, step by step, looking with your heart rather than your eyes. Well, a month later, Mia provided an update to her article. She had been out of town for a week, during which the facility had moved her grandmother to a different area. After visiting with her grandmother, she went to see Andrea, Here is Mia's own description of the encounter. She practically leapt out of her bed. You came back, she said, along with other full sentences filled with joy. She hugged me so tightly as we laughed and I shouted, you're talking, you're talking. I told her that I had shared her story and that people from all over the world were thinking of her and praying for her. She stopped then and started to cry. She held my hand. They are praying for me? Yes, I said. Tell them thank you, she said. Tell them that I walked for the first time 15 steps. Tell them there will be more, she said. Tell them. Thank you. This month, the aspect of spirituality we've been exploring in several of our church programs is cultivating relationship. I think that story powerfully illustrates that one of the ways we do that is by practicing loving kindness. And as a faith without creed, covenantal relationship is a key aspect of our spirituality, indeed, our theology. Here at First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, we have created a covenant. You can find it at austinuu.org. This is a set of promises that we make to each other that help us maintain and deepen our relationships with one another, as well as bring ourselves back into right relationship when almost inevitably we make mistakes. And establishing a set of such covenantal promises can help us cultivate strong relationship in settings other than the church. It's the concept underlying wedding vows, for instance. Other ways that can help cultivate relationship with folks within the church are participating in church ministries and volunteer activities, as well as church social events. And what we call chalice circles are a great way to cultivate much deeper relationship with some of your fellow church participants. These are monthly deep listening sessions with a small group of folks on a different spiritual topic each session. I'll provide more information about how to join a chalice circle later in the service. Both within the church and with our family and loved ones, research has found a number of ways that we can cultivate, sustain, and deepen our relationships. Practicing vulnerability and authenticity, being willing to reveal our deepest selves, the simple kindnesses that we can show to one another, like in the story earlier, putting away smartphones and other electronics to connect directly with each other in the room. Though conversely, these tools have also aided connection during the pandemics, pandemic when folks couldn't be in the same room. And for those who live together or communicate daily, starting and ending each day with an expression of love and kindness. When appropriate, human touch has been found to strongly benefit building relationships. And finally, turning toward bids. Bids are fundamental units of emotional communication, requests for connection. So a bid might be as simple as your spouse or partner sighing heavily while, re- while reading email. Turning toward such a bid might simply be asking, oh no, what's wrong? And those are just a few building blocks for relationships. There's a great deal more literature on how we can con- cultivate it. An interesting side note is that research has found that deep friendships can be as beneficial to us as partners or spouses and family. Friends can provide a different form of relationship that can be deeply complementary to our romantic and familial ties. I loved one anonymous quote that said, Friends are those who treat you kindly behind your back. Anyway. I think variations on several of these ideas, especially simply practicing loving-kindness, could benefit other types of relationships, too. Coworkers, neighbors, strangers at the airport, the people who make our lives easier, like restaurant and retail workers. I'm concentrating today mostly on human relationships, but I also invite you to consider what cultivating other forms of relationships, such as with other forms of life, your own spirit, your body, your environment, your world might look like. Now, I think it's also important, though, to look at some of the ways we fail in cultivating relationships. And one of the biggest ones is not fighting fairly. Disagreement is inevitable and can even be healthy. But here are some of the things psychologists say not to do during times of disagreement. Name calling or zeroing in on the other person's insecurities. Walking away mid argument. Bringing up past mistakes or unrelated issues. Focusing on winning rather than actually working through the issue. Trying to argue over text messaging or email. Defending your intention while denying your impact and using aggressive or avoidant body language. Some other ways we can stifle relationship are breaking promises, disconnecting entirely, and refusing to reveal our true selves, among many others. Of special note, cultivating intercultural relationship is too often thwarted by racism and other forms of oppression. So it is especially incumbent on those of us who may hold one or more forms of privilege, as we heard earlier, to learn our history, to do our own internal work, and especially importantly, to join in efforts to dismantle systems of racism and oppression in our culture. As trans activist, writer, performance artist, Ki-Ching Tom puts it, in the cauldron of social justice healing practice praxis, we must aim for relationality that has the potential to generate social change, to generate insurrection. We must be prepared to challenge norms, acknowledge danger, embrace struggle, take risks. And it turns out such relationship is vital to us. Research has found a strong sense of belonging and connectedness has a wealth of psychological and physical health benefits. In fact, folks who have deep relationships even tend to live longer. But the opposite is also true. Lack of friendship, loneliness has been found to have detrimental mental and physical consequences, including shortened lifespans. And sadly, even before the pandemic, we were experiencing an epidemic of loneliness in our country. One survey taken well before the pandemic found that 46% of respondents said that they felt lonely and 54% said that they felt no one knew them well. So by cultivating relationship, we may be making a real difference for others as well as ourselves. Well, that leads me to close by talking about the spiritual, the theological aspect of cultivating relationship. Like in the two readings we heard earlier, a group of very similar theological perspectives sees us not as distinct, separate, individual selves, but selves that emerge out of relationships with others and our world, especially when we can make them loving relationships. For these theologies, God or the divine is in the in-between. The divine is not a noun, but is rather a verb. The divine becomes whenever we engage in loving relationship. The divine is a process that emerges out of our connections with one another and our world and grows ever more brilliant when we cultivate relationship. When we reach out toward one another with love that divine spark within each of us burns ever more brightly. Those sparks combine together and shine the bright light of the divine out into a world that needs more love right now. May we make it so. Amen. Now please join me in our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. As we near the end of our service now and prepare to return to our daily lives, I wish you love. I wish you connection. I wish you belonging.